told you she won't let me leave. She won't let anyone leave. Did you really think you could destroy this ship? She's defied space and time. She's been to a place you couldn't possibly imagine. And now, it is time to go back. I know. To hell. You know nothing. Hell is only a word. The reality is much, much worse. Now let me show you. podcast i'm michael gobier and that guy's travis and that guy's eric and the three of us make up the cinema nine pod cinema nine pod at gmail.com is how you can connect with us today we are doing a film from 1997 chosen by eric it is october it's horror slasher thriller month sci-fi horror slasher secret mysteries of the ooze <laughs> event horizon will be the main picture we focus on in today's episode travis uh it is now october 11th when we're recording this how you doing? You enjoy this cold weather, man? Because I'm loving it. 
Oh yeah, I'm loving it. I I may have mentioned I don't know if I mentioned it on the show or not, but I've, the room I've been teaching at, at the new school I'm in is like a it's like a fucking greenhouse. So it's been hot as hell forever. But now that's suddenly gotten cold, it's like it's completely uninsulated and it's freezing in there. And the kids are all just complaining like crazy. And I'm like, I fucking love it. I love it so much. I'm opening the windows between classes and I don't know it. Ah, uh, yes, our thick. Got to get that ventilation in there. Bodies. Speaking of not getting sick. That's right. Yeah. Don't get sick. Those thick bodies need that cool air. We need it. It's like uh, when you're walking outside, but it's been a hot, sunny day. But if you walk by like a a little wooded area, like a marsh, you can feel that cool air coming out of there. And you're like, oh, I wish we had more of that. Give me more of that cool air. I love fall. A marsh? I I can't remember the last time I walked by a marsh. marsh. When I tell you to (laughs) bury a body in the marsh, I'm not burying a body in the fucking marsh. I'm Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Eric, is that a good impression? You impressed? The marsh. Who's ever walked by a marsh and noted the temperature change? It happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, I can feel that cooler coming out of there because it's trapping it. And it felt great. I really loved it. But nobody cares about marshes on the show. You do care about movies. Me, Eric, and Travis here are going to do the lone email we have, which is exciting. Oh. Yeah, it's for our buddy Joe. One of our more recent uh, newer listeners lately. Joe. Hey, Joe. This one's titled 24-Hour Party People. Oh, I've seen that movie. Uh, hey, guys, listening to the Truman Show episode as I work my way through the back catalog for movies I've seen, which is awesome, by the way. You know, that's what's great about our show is all of our episodes are relevant, you know, because they're for all time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if these movies will be here when the sun burns out, but maybe. Oh, well, okay. I don't know about that. Either. <laughs> uh, so... Burn my way through the back catalog for movies I've seen. And Govier brings up 24-Hour Party People as one of the movies he watched in the quarantine viewing segment. I did, yeah. First, I love that movie. So do I. I agree, Joe. I thought it was a great insight into that time. The fourth wall breaking didn't bother me. And I love the music that came from that time and place. Yeah, New Order, the Manchester scene. I mean, it was it's awesome. So awesome. Uh, second, Govier brought up how one of the main storylines in the movie is how a successful band in Joy Division, whose lead singer dies, and then the remaining band members went on to form an even more successful band in New Order. He said it's a really unheard of story, and my mind went to another example. Even if it's not apples to apples. Oh, God, remember that game was all the rage? Hey, guys, we're playing apples to apples tonight. Apples oh, to yeah. apples. Yeah, I like that game. Like t- 2008 to 2014, it was out of control. Um, it's a bit obvious, but it's Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters becoming arguably more successful, although perhaps not as iconic as Nirvana. Now, not exactly apples to apples is that Chris Novoselic, Christ Novoselic, uh, didn't go with Grohl <laughs> to form Foo Fighters. And the other interesting obvious twist to that story is Grohl moving from behind the kit to become the lead singer-guitarist, which you, again, obviously all know. FYI, this isn't a veiled attempt to worm my way onto the 93-94 pod. <laughs> but you're very welcome, Joe. <laughs> oh, or maybe it is in parentheses, he says. Okay, so well, we might have a mutual connection here between you two. Cheers, hey, Joe. Email me. What's awesome. the email? 9394podcast at gmail.com is 9394's email. Um, you know, I still need to see that fucking movie because every time it comes up, I forget that it's about Joy Division and New Order, and I just think it's about rave culture, which is what I thought when I was a kid. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not interested in that. Actually, the first time I saw it was at the dump uh, on a boring afternoon, a dreary yeah. dump day. I sat down and watched that movie, and yeah, it's excellent. It's really funny, too. Michael Winterbottom from The Trip and stuff, so it's good music. Steve Coogan. He's a great character. He's great. 
at what he does. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it, buddy. Good piece of information there. Let's get into quarantine viewing picks now that it's been discussed. Travis, you are leading off as you always do. Where are you taking us this week on your cinema journey? Well, I mentioned last week that I had watched season one of Chucky. And oh! it, you know, I was like, you didn't really need to see the other movies. But before I started Chucky season two, I watched Child's Play 2. Then I watched Child's Play 3. Mm. Then I watched Bride of Chucky. Oh, Jesus. Um, I'm not done yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through and watch them all. There's only like one or two left. But, um, wow. you know, they really weren't bad. The second one, it's funny, Eric, you're really going on about how the third, how you like the third one and hated the second one. They're, they're fucking identical. There's very little difference between these movies. Maybe revisit the second one or the third one. Maybe you like them less or more than you thought. Um, Bride of Chucky was not bad. Not bad. Um, you know, just late night. You're rolling your eyes as if you didn't say that Child's Play 1 holds up. Uh, it, there's a <laughs> schlock horror, and it's fine. It's You know, you get what you paid for, which is I watch them on... No, actually, I watched them on a streamer that I do pay for. But still, I didn't pay much. So I watched those. I watched uh, The Mummy from 1932, which was not what I thought it would be. A lot more Bram Stokery than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'd never actually seen it. But all of the still images are usually of, well, when he's like a mummy. But then he's just like, hey, I'm going to be a mummy in the beginning of the movie. And the rest of the movie, I'm going to be a guy in a fez. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Bram. <laughs> uh, and the main movie I watched that I... <laughs> loved and i think would make a great feast film Ooh. is microwave massacre from 1979 what the uh fuck? this film is bizarre horror comedy super 70s blatantly misogynistic horror kind of stuff but this guy gets so mad at his wife that he murders her and they have a microwave that's human sized so he starts <laughs> like you know cooking people and like and he's got it's like this it's this weird thing where like he's like killing women and then microwaving them and then eating them and it's all being done by the guy who was the voice of frosty the snowman who yeah. looks like frosty the snowman and he sounds just like himself it is completely bizarre and it was really really funny so microwave massacre from 79 oh wow you know when i was like six seven years old maybe five six maybe uh we had a babysitter and she had friends over and they were partying and there was a mouse in the house that they had trapped and killed. Then they took the mouse and put it in a cup, and the dude put it in the microwave. Ew, 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 ew. Yeah, it was awful. Story. Oh, God. It haunts me to this day. Never, so awful. Never used that microwave again, did you? Hmm. Fuck no! I mean, the mouse was dead, so at least he wasn't tortured still, but it was just a disgusting yeah, experience. Yeah, so. yeah, it's, someone someone went on to be a serial killer. <laughs> I'd rather watch Microwave Massacre. That's for damn sure. So. It was good. I guess I'm right. confused. Was that like a commercially available human-sized microwave, or did this guy make it? <laughs> It, it was 79, so the, I, the microwave like came into existence in like the mid-50s or even like earlier oh, than that, really? but it wasn't until, it didn't become like a commodity that people could afford until the <laughs> early 80s, so it's really like, yeah. it's it's preying on like the fear of like microwaves are going to send, you know, rays into our head, and you know, they could put a, I, I guess they thought they could put a human-sized microwave in the movie and it wouldn't freak people out because... They didn't really have microwaves in their houses still quite yet. I don't know. I got an update. But, uh, the first fine. microwaves were actually six feet tall and weighed more than 750 pounds. So early day microwaves would have been that big. There you go. So it was based in reality. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> the original microwaves were intended to like cook full meals and stuff. They wanted. They thought they'd be like re they'd replace the oven. Um, yeah, oh yeah, but, that's right. I so, saw a commercial so for that on an 80s YouTube video a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so they started making them smaller when they realized people were just using them for like, 
reheating stuff and you know frozen meals and shit. Wonder if the wonder if the middle of a hot pocket would still be frozen in that mm-hmm. microwave. Yeah. Would you rather watch microwave massacre <laughs> or the scene from the Flash with the microwave babies? Microwave massacre. It's, oh, okay. It's like a minute. It's like an hour and twenty minutes long. Oh, wow! It's a great <laughs> runtime too. Yeah. And by the way, that lady in that commercial, she was trying to sell the fact that she could cook a legitimate pot roast meal purely in the microwave, <laughs> and the people that showed yep, up, her go. company would have no clue. Thanks, microwave <laughs> dinners, whatever. Okay. Well, that didn't go. Nope. You're listening to microwave talk. You know, when I was doing my Prices Right run, where I was watching the original like episodes. I'm still blown away. Like literally, that microwave went for like nine hundred dollars in the like the opening showcase or whatever. Wait, we're still talking about microwaves. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Top five microwave movies. Do you uh, know Drew Carey uh, foot like a five billion dollar bill for like the writer's strike for people to keep working at a restaurant in LA during the whole strike or something? It's crazy. What does it have to do with microwaves? I oh, it's know. price is right. You mentioned price is right. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. Oh. All right. So Eric, did you watch any movies? Yeah. Um, fuck! This is going to be a stressful segment for me. I'm <laughs> coming to the point. I'm going to come to the point later where I got to figure out if I want to admit something or just keep it keep it to myself so I don't have to be anxious about it. I'll start easy. Like, drag me to hell. Awful. Like, it, oh. it's still bad. Still bad. <laughs> um, Conjuring one, incredible, amazing, oh, so good. I immediately turn down the Conjuring two. It is mind boggling how awful it is compared to the first one it's like it's mind-boggling that it's the same team it's truly my it's so bad yeah i agree um that's that now okay fuck (laughs) bring it on don't hurt don't hurt yourself bring it on i turn on halloween ends okay I, yeah. I, I'm like, well, I got to finish the trilogy. Like, I hated the f- 2018. Of course you fucking, fucking loved horrible. it. Of course you loved Halloween Ends. Because it fucking oh sucked. So I'm like, I might as well fucking turn it oh, on. This fucking guy. And immediately the credits start. And I'm like, oh, same uh, same font as uh, Season of the Witch. And uh, one thing about Season of the Witch you can't deny is that it took a different turn. Tried to do something new for a change. And uh, it's ultimately become a cult classic because of that. Mm. Halloween Ends takes a huge detour here, and it completely <laughs> goes in a direction that no one expected and no one appreciated. Because no I, one wanted I, it. I dug the film. I, I liked it. I liked it. You could just, you would. it would be so easy to just do the same goddamn move. Just just make it again. Just make another one. Have them kill more people, and that's it. That's all. Who cares? But director David Gordon Green takes a risk. He takes a big risk and he says, well, what else can we do with this character of Michael Myers? We've done every, we've done the same thing like 15 times. Let's try to make them this like, uh, I don't know, like let, let's try to make them this like tool that like a new killer could use. Like it's, it's something different. It's something different. And I sat I can, there and watched it and I, I was, I was entertained. Good, good. I'm glad you liked it. Um, I feel like there's a big theme that I see with you and, and regularly, which is about okay. timing. It's about timing. A lot of times, like, there's some movie that I think is great. You're like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll wait 25 years. And then you watch it. You're like, yeah, it's not so great. I heard, it, I heard it was great for 25 years. and It didn't live up to what I expected. And then there'll be some other movie that comes out and everyone's excited for it and they shit all over it. So you wait a year. And then you watch it, and you're like, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's all about timing and expectations. I'm just really curious how you would feel if you had watched it last year when it came out. In Halloween 2018, Laurie Strode returns 
and apparently has been consumed by PTSD for the past 40 years. Aww. Shelled up into this shack and out of her mind and can't think straight. And that's legitimate trauma. Uh, then in part two, her daughter is killed by Michael Myers. And what's she doing in part three? You'd think that she'd be back to that shack and even in worse shape. No, she's cracking jokes and baking pies the entire time in part three, which was dumb. Absolutely. So they completely did nothing with the character uh, at all. But I do like this different direction. It's it's something different. I always applied somebody that tries somebody something new, regardless of the detractors. So I don't know. Give it give it a chance and let me know. I don't know. <laughs> I um, am curious to see his take on Exorcist, I, even though it's getting mixed reviews oh as well. God, it's getting lambasted. Yeah. And again, fuck, fucking let down, man. Rob Savage let me down because I love Host. Fucking loved Host. It's one of yeah. my favorite horror movies of the past ten years. It's awesome. And then I hear he's making The Boogeyman with Stephen King, and I'm like, oh, fucking hell, bring it on, man. I can't okay. wait. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. so dull that it's a head-scratcher how it even got released. It's so dull with a creature that looks like it's right out of fucking one of the new Goosebumps movies with Jack Black. <laughs> Stupid, insipid nonsense. Pissed. <laughs> insipid nonsense. Yo. Know, Travis's rant there, or retort, or just reactionary opinion and thoughts related to you and your timing with films was eerily similar to uh, the same type of point that you made on the Rules of Attraction episode. I listened to that like a month ago because it came up on the oh. show or whatever. And Travis, yeah, I think Eric shit on a movie that you thought he would like or that you liked. You're like, oh, of course you didn't like it. I can't remember what the movie was now, but it was. <laughs> it's just it's funny to see that we got these same rhythms on the show. That was a couple years. How ago. How am I not so. myself? How, how how am I not myself? How am I not myself? It's just so funny. I had that one loaded up, so it was perfect that you said that. We lucked out. That's wonderful. Um, okay, Eric, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Girl. Uh, well, I... Uh, let's see. I obviously watched today's event, Horizon, which we'll focus on momentarily. Uh, and I watched a couple other dumb movies here and there. I don't think there's anything really that I should mention to you. I keep doing this thing, though, where I keep making more categories. You know, me and Travis talked about this. By the way, Eric will be off next week. He's going to be out of town. He's, you know, congratulations, Eric. Eric and Ann, keep it going. I'm really happy for you guys. Seems like yesterday that wedding took place. Wow, where's the time going? But uh, Eric will be out next week. So me and Travis, and we might have a special guest next week. Could be Luke Orbit, could be not. I don't know. We'll see. But just a little programming note for y'all. And when me and Travis did a show together six weeks, two months ago, I talked about how I'd love to keep these notes and ideas in my iPhone. And Travis is like, I do the same thing. So we both have these big stockpiles of notes we've been taking on our phones basically since we started the show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah. I added a new category. This week's category, while I was watching... Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. What was the movie I was watching? Well, it's called uh, Casino Loser Movies. You know, like a movie about like a loser in a casino. You know, there's only so oh, many okay. of them. It's not a huge... Oni Mahoney. That's it! Comes to that, mind. There you yep, go. Yep, of course. I <laughs> love Oni Mahoney. Cooler. Yes. That's the great. Cooler! There it is! Those are the, the two. Cooler's another one. Cooler. Yep. Those are the two I think of. Loser. A loser in a casino. <laughs> casino loser movies. Not casino like the yep. movie where there is a casino. It's got to no. be a real loser that's focused on. So. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love Owning Mahoney. Yeah. I think it's a dry film, but no, John great. Hurt's great in Owen Mahoney, too. Everyone loves, we all love PSH, but uh, I want to give John Hurt some love. And, uh, no, oh, I watched this. It was a great documentary, but I don't think a lot of people are going to be running to Amazon Prime to fire it up. It's called Nowhere to Hide, and it's about this awful story that happened to this teenage girl in high school in Nova Scotia in like 2013. And 
you know it's just amazing how how awful the town could fail someone so especially someone who's young and growing i really recommend it it's not a light viewing by any means but it's really well done nowhere to hide is a solid documentary and then lastly i watched this hugh hefner like docu slash docudrama kind of series on amazon prime like this guy plays it's like eight episodes of this thing it's hugh hefner's entire life from beginning to end all about playboy and he is in it in past interviews but then some guy plays him where they reenact scenes throughout the entire docuseries it's really strange it's it's pretty dumb i don't think hmm. if you ever see you're like oh maybe i'll watch this i will say hugh hefner uh you know not that he should get huge bump for this but he was uh always on the edge of supporting you know progressive rights for people of anybody gay straight black all those people back in the 60s and 50s and even to the 80s he, his record speaks for himself in terms of uh decency and humanity so i will give him that good job you uh but that's it that's all i got so um, all right we watched movies hey we watch movies all right now it's time for the main event event horizon is this week's pick eric brancher picked this film starring sir sam neil by the way it's sir now and, oh uh, yeah. yeah i didn't know that I, you know what i did not know that alan <laughs> <laughs> that's always gonna get me man somebody could do that any time of the day any day of the week and i'm gonna laugh but yeah larry fishburn yeah we got a solid crew brewing here but eric you picked this movie so take us back in time to your first event horizon viewing had no idea what to expect i'm like space movie that i never heard of that uh is supposed to be some summer blockbuster give me a break i walk into the theater with zero expectations and it's one of like three times in my entire life that I've le le legitimately been scared in a theater surrounded by strangers. Devil's Advocate, The Ring, and Event Horizon. Everybody kind of walked out of the theater looking at each other, shivering in, in a state of panic and dread. We didn't know what to expect, and we came out satisfied. But it's been <laughs> 26 years since I've taken another look. Oh, you hadn't seen some theaters? No, no, I was scared of it, and I didn't even want to see it again. Wow. Oh, yeah. I had a box copy. Um, it was one I watched over and over again. It, it scared the shit out of me, too. I don't remember if I saw it in theaters or not, but I remember thinking it was about as scary as a movie I could think of when I was like 17, 18 years old. And then I went to Full Sail, uh, the film school ah! in Orlando, and... I remember like when I was there, like one of the things they told you, like, okay, you've loved you've loved watching movies. Now you're gonna learn to make movies, which means that when you watch movies, they're gonna look different to you now. And I remember Event Horizon was the first movie that I watched that I was like, Oh shit, it looks so different to me now. Like even <laughs> that was like two thousand one or two thousand. But it just like no like suddenly all the CGI and all that kind of stuff and the models and stuff became like painfully obvious to me. And that was in two thousand, maybe. And I have not watched it since until the night before last. So yeah, and I never saw Event Horizon. I confused it with yeah. Michael Crichton's The Sphere, obviously, last week. Mm -hmm. So uh, It's funny. I watched it for the first That's time. exactly what my wife did last night. I'm like, hon, you want to watch the movie of the week? And I'm like, Event Horizon, they go to space, it's horror. She's like, no, I fucking hate it. The jellyfish, fucking Queen, Queen Latifah. Latifah. <laughs> jellyfish. It's not Sphere. It's not Sphere. <laughs> See, yeah. That's what I thought of too, Ange. I mean, this is, okay, this is an interesting film, and it's got a big cast. But 
I never saw it, so I don't have an origin story, but I remember the box copy being all over the place, and it just didn't motivate me for some reason. It seemed like boring space. Uh, you know, I love Star Wars, but that was like the limit of my... <laughs> I love Total Recall, you know, but I just didn't have a huge sci-fi love back in 1997, I guess. But what is the score on this one, gents? Is this a big hit, a crowd pleaser, or middle-of-the-road trash? I'm going to guess 6.7. I'm going to take a risk and assume that Six, three. people still remember this being amazing and say 7.1. I say 6.3, and it is 6.6. Six. There it is. 6.6. I believe Travis wins. Uh, yeah, Rotten to- You win. Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Ooh, this is been a, been <laughs> yeah. a minute. 34% from the critics. Just absolute splat. Yeah. Yep. Whatever. Didn't like. Yeah. I mean, this was a huh. box office dud, too, right? It's gained a lot of a, from what I gathered and reading now, post uh, film of 25 years now almost. It's like this movie kind of gained a cult following as they often do and home video and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, but it was not a success in the theater. I don't remember, but uh, it wasn't. It was. But I just remember, like, to, to me and Eric <laughs> and, like, our friends group, I remember like, we all thought it was pretty great. Well, yeah, mm. 61% with the crowd. So that's 34 to 61. That's a big, big gap right there on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, if you believe it. Yeah. You believe, believe what well, Rotten no, Tomatoes says. Not really. Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, let's see. We'll get some old school reviews from the time it happened. Uh oh, I like this name. I'm gonna do this. Brandon Collins from Medium Popcorn says this was in 2021. This isn't necessarily yeah. a bad movie, but some of the death scenes were just ridiculously brutal. It was disturbing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a disturbing movie. It's going for that. It's Not trying to do. even a debate. Yeah. You know, apparently there yeah. was a longer version too that by the way, so uh Paul W.S. Anderson. Is that how I got it? Is that right? Let me make sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Same year Boogie Nights comes out. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan yeah. Rosenbaum. Hey, Paul, Paul, you can't be Paul Anderson. What do you got? <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson? Is that taken? <laughs> that flows, right? Yeah, it's got a nice... Uh, uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader said, The Pits. <laughs> okay. The Pits. Yeah. That's it. Wow, that might be the shortest review ever. It's at least in the running. Uh, Kenneth Turan of the LA Times said, Director Anderson gets points for skillfully choreographing all of this, but he loses them for a consistent desire to brutalize the audience. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to find some of the old school ones. Uh, Oh, Destin Thompson. I mean, who knows what Destin's been doing with his life, if you've made time for this movie or not. Uh, oh, here we go. We'll get the foreign perspective from the island over there in the North Atlantic. Liam Lacey of the Globe and Mail says, If anything, the conventional pop-up scares and gross-out effects of this British haunted spaceship <laughs> story seem less terrifying than quaint. Yeah, this was filming right next to Eyes Wide Shut on the Pinewood Studios at the right. same time. Oh. So. All right. Uh, okay, no Dessen. Sorry, guys. Roger Ebert, of yeah, course, who was there when it happened. Roger Ebert said, mm. it's all style, climax, and special effects. The rule change with, oh, the rules change with every scene. Oh, so we got another movie with rules changes. That was one of the focuses <laughs> last week with Child's Play. So, um, All right, man. 
uh, this is a movie about space and it's in the future, <laughs> right? It's about, but it's like a horror film. And, yeah. and by the way, so they have the first mm-hmm. things I wrote down is, oh, they still use film photographs in 2047. Like when like, <laughs> they still smoke. Yeah, they smoke. In space? A, you got one <laughs> shot to get there and get back to Neptune. Yeah. Light one up. Light them if you got them, dude. Fuck. <laughs> also, uh, in 2015, we were going to be colonizing the moon. Yeah, yep, that was the idea. That's right. That was, that was ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this hey, Mike. <laughs> yep. I go Did ahead. You notice there was go a, ahead. Yep. Some dream sequences. Ah! Mm. Now I wrote down. I think I feel the same about this. I wrote this two days ago. Fucking dream sequence in horror <laughs> is the lamest of all dream sequence efforts. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. And this movie opens and ends with a dream sequence. And I think there's yeah. a couple more in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. That 40 minutes of additional footage, all dream sequences. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horror movie. Like we know that kind of shit. I don't know. It's just more obvious in a horror. I guess you could fool me in like a Soprano situation where sometimes they do it all right, but it just doesn't oh, work for me in horror yeah. more than anything. I will say this about the opening dream sequence. I like the way that it works in that it sets it up that it makes you think that uh, Billy Weir, right? That's his name, Sam mm-hmm. Neill's character. Yep. It sets you up to think that he's going to be the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I do really like that. Plays on the routines, on the cliches. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You think he's going to be like the odd man out on the, on the crew mm-hmm. and he'll probably be like the last man standing who's the hero. And then like you just kind of watch him descend and become the villain, which I, th- I like that about it. And I he's likable. Like he's likable in yeah. those first 25 minutes. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, th- yeah, this is like the shining in space. This is like, you get the feeling that the, it's, it's the ship is changing people and making them their worst versions of themselves for a lot of them. That was Philip Eisner, the writer. Supposedly that was one of his original pitches. Hey, the shining in you space and people were into it. Yep. So you nailed it. And I, I just don't think I have a problem with Sam Neill as an actor because I love Sam Neill. I love oh, watching yeah. Sam Neill act. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a big Sam Neill fan. Uh, sure. But he's treated like shit. You know, Captain Miller, Larry Frisburn, he's a dick to him. And it's got the setup in a movie where, like, there's a whole crew and each one of them has their own personality. You got the hotshot. You got the doctor. You know, you got oh, the uh, the engineer. That's the focused one. The mm-hmm. one who's all about logic. You got one dude, you got one dude named Smitty just because he got to <laughs> Yeah, and the, it's something about Mary Guy. As soon as I saw that guy, I'm like, oh, he's totally going to die. There's no doubt about it. He's already dead. And he kind of died. I mean, I guess he didn't die fully. What, Jack Noseworthy? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Two words, yeah. baby bear. <laughs> Two words. Uh, d- oh, three. Dead at 21, the MTV show that he got, oh, got started on. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know about that. Well, we got... Floating CGI trash that would make the Langoliers blush. <laughs> yeah, that's how. The, yeah, it's it's. Oof. But it's going so back bad. to the the physical sets, I think they do a really oh. great job with the physical sets. So, like, I, I had said something about models before, and like, yeah, there's some model work here, but the actual sets that they're playing around on are for the most part really awesome. The big spinning thing in the middle of the ship was straight out of Galaxy Quest. Like, why is it unnecessarily dangerous? Because it has to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, like, I really thought they did a great job with with the feel of it. All the physical stuff looked great. Just awesome production design. Yeah. It feels like a spaceship. Joseph, I had to write it down too, because I'm like, man, 
I'm blown away by anything in this movie. It's Joseph Bennett's production design. Like it yeah. feels like a tactic, like a, a practical spaceship with not like a not a lot of dumb stuff in it aside from like spikes and shit. But like, yeah, it feels lived in. It's cool. Uh, and then I wrote down <laughs> umbilicus. <laughs> Did you catch that? What? It's like this long corridor that they walk through as soon as like they 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 attach to the event horizon. Yeah. And Sam Neill's like, "We're in the umbilicus." Because <laughs> it's a long thing that attaches to the rest of the ship. It's yeah. like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Did an eighth grader write this?" Cool. Well, and then we get uh we get Chekhov's explosives there where he's like, "Oh, this by the way, this uh, if you, you trigger these and uh it's going to blow the ship in half and you're like, "Oh, okay. We'll look forward to that at the end of the movie." That's okay. We got <laughs> the CO2 scrubbers. They're the MacGuffin that keeps on giving all year long. I'll get I'll get to that explosion scene in uh, in a while because it's fucking ridiculous if you hit pause at that scene, man. I I, I wrote down if you bank on CGI being a, like a focal point of your film, you run a real risk of it not working out in twenty years, and that's the case here. I mean, you know, it probably looked pretty cool even in nineteen ninety seven. I think it would. I think it did, but this just doesn't hold muster now. You mean like the trash <laughs> and stuff at the beginning? Because because yeah. I don't think the movies reliant on cgi I think no that they it's not use it yeah they use it properly and that they're trying to like you know fill in the spaces with it but they like you could you could have done much better than mm-hmm. animated trash literally <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not avatar you're right it's not the focal point uh, it was just something that popped in my head as a general rule it's pretty weak yeah. in this film but you're right it's not the focal point and i do agree with travis that the physical sets are pretty rad. Awesome. Uh, awesome. I heard that the yeah. you know, I read the sixty five pounds were the spacesuits they were wearing, and they got hung on mm. they got hung on these hangers during breaks because if you stood up or sat at them, it would hurt your back or be worse. So there's like a <laughs> there's a picture if somebody took it of a bunch of these actors in their spacesuits just hanging and chilling while they're like fixing the lighting or doing some <laughs> other background. Oh, <laughs> that sounds brutal. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of explains the, the awesome. chairs and stuff inside the Lewis and Clark because I really like the inside of the Lewis and Clark too but they're all just kind of hanging oh from these God. chairs yes! like meat in a meat locker Jesus. oh yeah <laughs> maybe that's why <laughs> oh yeah that did stand out to me when i was watching it and now that does make more sense yeah you're probably right that was the case but i also i knew uh that noseworthy was gonna die and i totally had an assumption he that didn't. he didn't you're right i was wrong so i had to totally eat my words on that but quinlan when she gets the video that you know i missed my son oh, i'm not gonna be able to get back yeah. to see my son for a long time like oh you're gonna die dead. you're totally dead so Yep, so dead. Um, so Jack knows where the he that moment when she's when Quinlan's walking back and forth, and you you know the camera comes back and suddenly he's missing from the clinical bed. I love that moment because you're like, okay, is he dangerous? Is he a danger to himself? Who knows? But it turns out he's a danger to himself. He puts himself in the airlock. And before the door is even open, like he's like, oh, I can feel it. And his hands and shit are all fucked up. And it's all like, oh, it's intense. And then by the end of the movie, this is this is to um, our boy Eve's point uh, of rules changing. By the end of the movie, uh, Weir shoots out a window for reasons. And everyone's just getting sucked towards it like uh, like someone opened up a window on a, on a 747. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not the vacuum right, of space. <laughs> That was a big. That was a big blunder to make a big deal about the, it in one scene, and then just forty minutes later or less in the movie <laughs> to have it completely different. Like I'm like, why? And then the, the villain just goes flying out the window that he shot for no reason, <laughs> and he's gone. And it's like, I think he really dies because I think when we see him again later, I think that's the ship. 
Yeah. You know, he's got his eyes back and I've stuff. I've always thought that too. Yeah. Yeah. Who the, the fuck knows? Explanation, because yeah, his eyes were gone. His eyes were gone, and he was off in space. And he has no rocket propulsion like Cooper. Uh, here I come, motherfuckers! Uh-huh. <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, Richard, Richard T. Jones, Dick Jones, Richard, nice job, Dick Jones. Yeah. 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 Don't hit me! <laughs> oh my God, it's so so stupid. So it's it, it is um it's a, it's it feels a bit disappointing to have this big build up and then because you get Weir and Weir has like the super strength all of a sudden too so he's like you're like oh what am I dealing with here and, he's, and you're like well I'm dealing with a maniac with a harpoon who's gonna go flying out the window and that's and that's what happens <laughs> and but then he becomes that guy with his eyes back with like the scars all over him but he's yeah but it's not him I don't think I know that, that's I, a ship right who knows I have really knows? had a hard time as a first time viewer yeah. following what. Yeah. It actually, it made me disinterested. I got to just come out and say it now. I was like, what the fuck is going on around here? I don't need to follow everything, but like, I just don't even care. You're not even getting me into care enough other than you're being grotesque as hell and you're trying to like really mess with our minds, but it's not really done in a clever or insightful way. That's what that critic was saying. It just kind of brutalized you with its violence, hoping that that'll be satisfying enough. But okay. Let, let's let, let's get straight to it. I mean, the, the uh, apparently the Event Horizon went to hell, but it also oh. like wants to fuck with you and like do the whole Stephen King play on your past shit, which is like straight out of I don't know if you know like if I've ever seen fucking Solaris, but like that's the plot of it. Yeah, <laughs> like oh. like literally. <laughs> so like n- n- we're not talking about this. Um, but yeah, I I don't. I mean, I've seen this a couple times now, and I still don't even understand like Weir's character arc, like. It, it, it all is he possessed by it like did he want to go into the black hole and like what what's going what's happening what happened he, in this movie he wants them to not give up the mission even though they have less than two hours left of oxygen left to the point that he's going to blow up the lewis and clark and he's uh, and so but again like i so i i don't he's not himself but i don't know that they do a great job in telegraphing that they're no longer being reasonable you know um because it's like why is he wanting to stay when they're they're going to run out of oxygen. That doesn't make sense. Actually, but yeah, okay. Go ahead. When you put no, it like ahead. that, real quick, that man, the movie actually does a pretty good job of making you feel the confusion of what it would be like to be in the situation because they don't give yeah. you any lead. So I have to give the movie credit, I guess, in that respect. Not always done that way. Yeah, because you get to see someone like the like like Larry Fishburne's character go from like the ship is not alive, give me a real answer to like. Uh, an experience or two later being like the fucking like ship is alive. And I actually kind of bought it because it's like now he's had these experiences. They're going to inform that decision or that or that expression. But also, I really like the beginning how um, to go back to Weir's character and his motivations. You you figure out like I love when I love when a movie successfully shows without telling where he's shaving and it shows him look over at the tub and then he looks over at the razor and he holds it to his neck, which, you know, all these uh, he's just a guy in the bathroom shaving. Be like, oh, shit, his wife killed him, killed herself. And then she did it in that tub. Yeah. And, well, well, well yeah. done. Well done. I, I was watching it yesterday. I'm like, oh, now I remember. Like, he wants to get to the event horizon because his wife is on it. And like, he's but she's not be- pull her back from whatever help. But like, like no, that doesn't happen. No, no. They just yeah, start she's... his hallucinations early for some reason. <laughs> yeah, they start before he even goes to the event horizon, which isn't mm-hmm. doesn't make a ton of sense. Oh, I just really got like but this yeah, cool she... halo around my head. All right. Oh, you kind of do. Yeah. But yeah, no, I remember thinking that as a kid for like years, being like, mm-hmm. yeah, his wife's mm-hmm. on the ship. Yeah. And then like, and then like eventually it clicked like, oh wait, no, she died back on earth when he was, cause he was overworking. The photographs okay. in the beginning. Yeah. Right. right. Oh man. Right. I want to go back to what Eric said. He said the word twice. 
hell. This is a total allegory, right? About like Dante's Inferno again. Like the nineties. We got the devil's advocate talking about Jonathan, what's his face? And you know, it's all about heaven and hell and certain interpretations of that realm and the battles that happen between it and this is supposed to be like this is what it's like to really go to hell but we're gonna base it on you know like 16th century stuff that's i just i'm tired of that scene like dante's inferno i'm played out on that like we've been there done that and so to me that was part of the story that it didn't make me more interested to be even though some of the imagery was really cool and the way it was done from a production standpoint i am not against that i just i didn't care that that was the focal point I think, I mean, now that you mentioned that, that era was really thick with hell movies. You had Ninth mm-hmm. Gate, you had yeah! Dogma, yeah. End of you Days. Had, you had End of Days. I was trying to think of that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had a bunch of stuff kind of back to Stigmata. You had like <laughs> a bunch of yeah. stuff kind of. A lot of hell. A lot of hell back to back to back around that era. A lot of yeah. hell. <laughs> Fucking Stigmata. Well, the year 2000 was coming, man. We were trying to get bless it all in before Christ yeah. pulled the plug on it. Oh, God bless the child. That one was terrible. <laughs> yeah. God send. A lot of hell. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, there was. There was. There was a lot of hell stuff. But Don't yeah, forget Deconstructing Harry. To, a lot of hell in that one, too. Yeah. I was listening to uh, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson talk a little bit about this movie. And he was talking about how people still come up to him this day talking about like what they thought was the scariest part in the hell sequence. And like Ooh. it's not even in the sequence, which nah. is, you know, it's cool because <laughs> I remember like I remember that being so scared of that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, well, do I? I couldn't really remember what I saw. I remember the dude holding the eyes and the tongue. But like other than that, I was lo- really looking forward to like what actually happened in that scene. And I wasn't scared yesterday. I was just like, okay. I know there's a version of that that's like longer that's yeah. out there, but who wants to see it? I don't want to see it. It's so just fun. more of a rubber tube coming out of a guy's mouth. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, the guy. But that was the big deal. That was the huge deal back then. That that scene. Oh. Yeah, well, it was it was certainly terrifying for the time. That that was that was an astonishing and terrifying scene. Um, and also. They're having all their meetings where it happened, so the skulls and the blood and the viscera are, is all just plastered behind them, oh and they're all just hanging God. out, talking, while it's all but dripping on them. I'm like, why yeah. are they all just comfortably hanging out here with this smeared <laughs> corpse shit all over the place? <laughs> Cracking other jokes, places. lighting up cigarettes, there's fucking dead entrails laying around. Yep. Oh, oh, so I got a huge... To me, this rang true, okay? It might not ring true to everybody, okay. but I right. totally had a Inception Marion Cotillard vibe with Weir's wife. Like, he's, like, trying to get back, but she's always haunting him. There was, like, a total connection in that relationship to how that movie goes in Inception with Cobb's character and his wife who he loses. And that's what Weir's got going on here. He's haunted by this wife that he lost and not trying to implant dreams in someone's mind. But I also made a similar connection to that. I think there was some similarities there. There's no doubt that Nolan's a fan of this film, uh, mostly because of the fact that he literally has the uh, black hole description exposition scene in Interstellar. The exact same thing happens. (laughs) Good call, Eric. He explains it exactly like that with a piece of paper with a pen through it to a group that wants to know what he's talking about. That's funny. You're right. That does happen. Wow. See, I knew there was something going on there. Uh, But, uh, okay, so... Any of the acting stand out to you guys? Like, well, that was fun. Or this place is a tomb. (laughs) Fuck me. (laughs) Come back here, mister. How about every single line that Larry Fishburne has being ridiculous? (laughs) 
Yeah, dude, the he that 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 the line after this place is a tomb is fuck me is so funny because that's the best jump scene jump scare in the movie because that was the big line for the previews was this place is a tomb, but then, <laughs> then, but then he's shitting himself like twelve seconds or less later. Oh Every time hilarious. it gets too quiet, you know a jump scare is coming. Like oh, this movie's way too quiet right now. Like when Noseworthy's going into the uh, gravity yeah. drive, like oh here, come on, I'm waiting for it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Boom, there it was. I was two seconds yeah. late, but or when Weir is in the uh, the all green like tunnel oh thing. yeah it's oh it gets yeah, pretty quiet there cool. yeah. that, that's one of the best scenes one of the best scenes in the movie i think is that's is that scene that really cool. it looks cool yeah it looks fantastic and it, and it is tense because and you see because he's like working and then he like hears stuff and he gets genuinely scared really quickly and i think that's well done actually they might have kind of lost he... me there that's actually a point now that you're saying oh, really? that i think that's kind of really? where i started like okay i'm getting lost here and now they might have lost me that might have been the turning point for me so i know what was for me which is when there's like knocking on the door and it's not a door it's a giant metal fucking thing and the knocks are so intense that you can see knuckle prints like in caving the door the thing right like yeah. like that's mm-hmm. it's like fucking out of scrooge and they're like banging on the door and <laughs> yeah. so um and weir is like open the door and he walks over to open the door and jolie richardson grabs him and bends his arm behind his back mm. and stops him then just like i'm done turns her back on him Walks away from him. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I stopped they, him. They yeah, and they talk about like what was that noise? But now, how about what the fuck is creating knuckle marks through metal? That's a much <laughs> yeah. bigger deal than the noise. So I'm just like all of a sudden, I was like, what the? No one cares. What? What's what? No, no one cares. It's the only like <laughs> physical, cares. undoubtedly physical manifestation of the entity (laughs) in the entire film yes because everything else could either be explained away or not explained at all like we don't definitely know it's hell we don't definitely know like that Mm -hmm. the ship is alive these are theories which is kind of cool except Mm -hmm. that scene where that fucking monster tries to rip through and they're like ah whatever (laughs) yep I, I stopped one. I stopped a human on this side. And then, <laughs> now, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna look away from him and go do something else for a minute. I thought that was baffling. Also, if you're gonna string someone up and gut them and like and like go full like bloody angel style, mm. how long does it take to walk across the ship? Because Larry Fishburne's like running, for, like he he <laughs> hears that DJ's in trouble and then he's running there. And then like, how long did it possibly take to whip someone up in the air like that and gut them and do all that? I'm like. So, th- so I started doing a lot of that with the movie after the after the knocking scene. I'm oh, sorry. Then oh. I started just being like, okay, this is. I got. I'm like getting more and more critical as the film went on. Then he then he shoots the window out. I'm like, what fucking, who, who wrote this and who okayed this? Like, why would this is how you want to yeah. end this character? Yeah. What the fuck was going on there? He shoots the window out. Uh, what's his face to try to come back? Cooper's trying to get back from the blowout Cooper after that. Shows up just in time and, and, and people are just trying to hang out for dear life. Again, like you said, they're hanging out or onto a 747 and they're going to fall out, which is, I think there's a difference between the power of space as a vacuum versus flying a yes. 747. Yes. Which the movie had shown us earlier. So, which mm-hmm. I thought they weren't terrible. Like trying to like set mm-hmm. up and explain the realities of their space situation. There is a, there's a sense of realism here. This isn't trying to be like a off the wall, like farce type sci-fi thriller. I think they're trying to base it in that time's reality with the way everything looks and how it's structured and how they tell you how the event horizon works and the whole setup to that. But that that's shit flies in the face of what we're trying to understand when you see that scene go down with them trying to hang on and not go out into the vacuum of space. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> So between this film and Contact, 
Am I to believe that you can create a black hole by having a ball with three rotating rings around it? <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. You yeah, just got to get one at sharper image. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I don't. A lot of the characters here, like, uh, they're supposed to all have their backstories, too. Like, the, there's a scar on uh, what's his face? He's got the huge DJ, long scar. Yeah. Like, that's not explained <laughs> on, at on all. Like, why does he Jason have this? Jason Isaac's character. Yeah, he's got a scar from, like, his dick to his, yeah. to his mouth on his chest all the way down his belly. And I don't know what the hell that's from. Or did he I mean, imagine sure that? Is he starting? They probably had, like, a, a hallucination for him, but, like, they cut it. Yeah. Like, you're exactly right. Exactly I bet you're 100 percent right because the the crew is a little thick. There's a little. There's like too too many people in the crew probably. So we they get spread a little thin and we don't really get enough um, mm-hmm. insight into them. I mixed up two you of the know? guys. Frankly, I really started to lose track between Isaac's and Smitty, the other guy, and, and Sean and Sean. P, uh, P, what's his name? Petwee? Petwee? Yes. Uh, they look too similar too. Honestly, yeah, they did. Like I was like, what's going on here? Who's doing what? I really got confused. I did. <laughs> did like you the happen scene. to did you happen to notice in Smith's death scene when he looks at the panel right before the fucking thing explodes yes! what it says on the panel what's it say oh. there's a fucking disarm button that he could have just p- pushed <laughs> oh I did not see that oh yeah. it's no. plain as day I'm like oh hit the button no he just goes oh fuck Oh my god! I never even noticed that. That's it's hilarious. So funny. It's like, like how do you not? How does any, someone not notice that? Guess I'll die and let all my friends die. <laughs> like, like, like the filmmakers, like why even make that a graphic if this, right. the intention of the scene is to have him blow up there? It's bonkers. Yeah. So, so they must have like delegated that to the you know someone like someone who built built a prop, and they're like, well, I'm making a bomb, so I'll put a disarm yeah. thing on there because I didn't read the fucking script. Yeah. And uh, and then button. the director's kid, they're like, well, what the hell are we supposed to do with this? And the editor's like, we cut quickly. That's what we do. We cut quickly. Yeah, they were really <laughs> under the gun on the editing process too. They had to get it done like four weeks. This is also a guy who he yeah. comes off Mortal Kombat. He directed that, and uh, he now he does this movie. So this is his follow-up for Paul W.S. Anderson. And there was also a lack of trust, you could tell here, based on what you learn yeah. about the film between the studio and him. And also some fucked up shit, like uh, Sam Neill and Jolie Richardson actually got hurt from an explosion in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, legitimately, oh, really? physically hurt yeah. from it. They lived, of course, but like... Knocked out. Yeah, it was that like, sucks. Jolie Richardson said, like, the people were great, but the production was hell. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm. you try to make everybody confused about what's real and what's not, and they do a really good job of that, but it's too confusing. So when I stop caring, it's not because they're not entertaining. It's just that I am having a hard time finding a part of the story to grab onto to really immerse myself into it. It doesn't, it's not uh, filled with all these roles and performances that kick ass and really make me feel like, oh, dude, I just love watching this person act right now, so I don't care what else is going on in the movie. I don't get any of that in this movie, so that's why it's harder for me to grasp onto something when the confusion is so intense in this film with what's real and what's not. I get some of that with Sam Neill, but not, yeah. not enough. Yeah. Um, that's, yep. Seems like we've all kind of figured out how we feel about it. Are we ready to wrap this up? Oh, what about the uh, the killer uh, techno score mixed in with like uh, oh, whatever yeah. the hell they were doing with that shit? So it's, Mike, Michael came in. I made oh, I made note because oh. um, that was a horrendous score. Yeah. Very super nineties, just super so nineties, yeah. dude. So nineties techno to the max. Cue Darude. Yeah, and like you don't hear. I don't remember hearing score in the movie at all. It's just like techno beginning, techno end. <laughs> 
Thank, thankfully, there's not any in the middle. Check <laughs> maybe some mood in. setting. Yeah, you know. Doctor Weir creates uh, a device that can that can create a black hole, uh, and yet he, he doesn't recognize Latin. Like he's <laughs> at an elementary level. Yeah, he laughs I mean, and he's like, "Clearly, this isn't anything uh, even approaching linguistics." <laughs> like I even knew Liberato before I saw this movie. Nobody on Earth, like, there was, like Houston, had heard it. They said, like, the, it was like it had gone, been cycled. <laughs> like nobody on Earth recognized it either. Yep, it's like yep. it was like a whole. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, it's all falls to DJ, who just happens yep. to have had Latin in school or something. Like yeah. that's, that was stupid. That was. And he still ridiculous. got it wrong. He's like, I may have misinterpreted it earlier on. Now we know he the still truth. Got it wrong. Yeah, well, Still got like, it wrong. everything had to get run through filters. Ah, let's run through another filter before we can see it. Let's run through another filter before we can hear it. It's the two scrubbers out. Not even that, like, <laughs> like something like Armageddon. It's 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 cool that like the uh the the the, uh, the, the miners are like, what were they in there? Driller, oil drillers yeah. don't like. Are, they're not up on like NASA terminology and, and phase, physics in space, but like all these people on the Lewis and Clark are baffled by like the concept of a black hole. They needed to explain to them. It's like little shit like that. Like they mm. act like they don't know anything about space. Yeah, they allude to this crew that they this job they. <laughs> did prior and what they did prior to this like they're the rescue crew i guess but like they're a space rescue crew for sure i would say and they've been living in space right i we don't even know yeah, well, we don't know Who the that, fuck knows? that i kind of liked about them actually because it kind of like i liked that it set them up as a working class kind of crew it's not like they weren't like astronauts it was more like you know that movie ice pirates it was like it's like this <laughs> this ragtag team of uh hmm of you know like space explorers but they're you know and they're all focused on their one specific mission so they're not necessarily going to be like space physicists because i'm a pilot i'm a trauma surgeon i'm a rescue engineer technician or whatever the fuck <laughs> but I, you know i, th I thought it, i, I like that part of it actually yeah it's not a big gripe you're right but all right uh anything else final call i wrote right. down uh adrian biddle's name rest in peace uh, i think the uh. film looks really nice uh he shot aliens too mm. and like he made a film that doesn't really look like aliens but it also has the exact same vibe going for it uh so yeah props mm. have you guys i never heard of this game so i'm just going to mention it for other people who might take pleasure in understanding it uh this game called warhammer Forty Thousand or whatever there's like a ton of references to that game in this film, and it was actually admitted by the writer that, oh yeah, 100%, I'm a big Warhammer 40,000 person. I have no idea what that is, but I did run into a lot of references to it in the film. So if anybody plays Warhammer 40,000, great job, I played, enjoy. I played Dead Space, and there's a lot of shit from Event Horizon in Dead Space, like a lot oh. of the set design looks just like that. It's possible Warhammer 40,000 is like a role-playing Dungeons and Dragons thing too, so that's the vibe I was getting. Don't know. Exciting, wonderful. Eric? Hey, Eric, all I'm right, ready man. I'm ready to wrap this up, man. <laughs> I chose the film. And it's one of those that, like, it's perfect for the show, man, because you remember loving it so much, but it's been so long, and I genuinely had no idea what I was going to think when I hit play yesterday. I was fucking excited. <laughs> Sadly, as each scene piled onto another, oh. and I was hit with such dumb lines as, we're leaving, like, in, like told, like, comedically by Larry Fishburne after, like, the hell video. I guess I was just so scared I missed how dumb that delivery was. I'm just baffled by, I get that the production was rushed, man. You got 
a 90 minute movie with like a mini series worth of story stuffed into it. Mm. Like this makes a great mini series, two parter. Uh, you could tell it right, but like it's just so scattershot and rushed, and the studio fingerprints all are all over it that it's just confusing uh, and and a little bit silly for me. There's cool moments here, like the sets look fucking awesome, and I like the performances. They're trying their best, but there's just so much dumb shit. Like like Doctor Weir is talking about how claustrophobic he is, and oh, this is gonna come up later when he has to do something, and then he does have to do something, which is go through the like hard drive corridor, yeah. and like he acts like it's not even a big problem. Yeah, little yeah. dumb stuff like that. They, like, they, did they even think about the script? I'm sorry, man. Um, I dig what it's trying to do. It's like there's Clive Barker in here that that works in a lot of ways. Like, Kathleen Quinlan's death is fucking really cool. Like, still is creepy as fuck the way they handled it. It looks real. Um, but, yeah, it's just a poor knockoff of Solaris, and it's trying to be The Shining in so many piss-poor ways. Man, I hate to say it, this didn't hold up for me. Ah. I was totally prepared to love this movie again because I, I held it in high regard back in the day and watched it pretty often, but I hadn't watched it in like 20 years or something. So I was, you know, I, I didn't really feel much trepidation. I'm like, this is this is probably still going to be good. And I really feel like this movie is clearly bisected into a pretty strong beginning and then things really fall apart about a little over halfway through. Um, or so it's just, it's, it, it's like all of a sudden a different director stepped in or something. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, that's it. it's like this, this good movie and it just, it just wobbles right off the fucking track. And, um, it's a shame because it, there's a lot of promise here. There's, I think there is strong acting. The production design, as we said, was incredible. A, a very real and creepy, disturbing mood mm -hmm. is set. And this had, and I see why. It has resonated with people and still been something of a cult classic because um, there is something here. It's just not quite what it's just what what should have been here didn't quite make it into film. When uh, I was watching this on Paramount Plus, and when the film ended, like there's always like another movie that gets recommended, you know, immediately afterwards. It's like you gotta like jump up and hit stop real quick before this other movie starts, or, the, or else it's just gonna be on your screen. Are you still watching? Blah blah blah. You know. <laughs> and the and the movie that uh, wanted to come up after this was Congo, and I'm like, ah, that makes sense. Doesn't hold up. Fuck and Event Horizon Congo. doesn't. Hold up. I wish it did. Yeah. Uh, Congo. I might come on the show at some point. Never saw that one either. Yeah. A lot of those movies are similar to me. Um, yeah, this movie lost my interest, man. I love Sam Neill. I love Larry Fishburne. Yeah. But it's just, it's not my cup of tea to start with. And they just keep losing me as each scene progresses. I'm less interested. I don't care what happened. I don't care to make sense of, oh, is that real? What's really going on here? They had to buy me in, and they I did not get a buy-in, really, at any point. I really didn't, and the more confusing and chaotic it became, the more stupid it looked in terms of what was happening on screen. Not so much how it was done, but what was happening. Mm -hmm. No thanks, man. This movie, this movie's trash. This was an easy no-call, no-show for me. It did not hold up. <laughs> nope. Sorry, Sam Neill. I love Sam Neill. That's, that's three no's. That, that doesn't hold up. That, we haven't was, had that in a while, it seems like. It's been a while. We just... Oh. Uh, didn't we do that for a movie for the first time forever a couple weeks ago? It wasn't Child's Play. No, no, but, I forget my life. So do I. Who knows what happens. Good thing we record them. So at least 
you guys can listen to them and watch them on our YouTube channel if you prefer. Watch yeah. YouTube, subscribe to our podcast. Give us a five-star review if you've never done that before the year ends. That'd be nice. You can get on the record with oh, Apple Pods. Yeah, or Spotify. You can also rate there. Just click the stars, five stars. Also, I learned this tip too, and I should have mentioned this on my other show, but um, if you ever have a hard time finding our show, I learned if you just type in like my last name, it brings up all my podcasts on Spotify, including is it safe? Because I remember I was having that problem. Oh. So I was like, oh, this is, yeah. my dad showed me that trick. He's like, yeah, it just brings up all your pods. I was like, Great job, Dad. Smart. So, huh. that's fun. Little trick of the trade. Uh, all right. So next week, Eric is out. Right? We'll miss you, Eric. You have a great time. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I know you will. It is Halloween season. I feel like I want to participate. You know, like I know, oh, not a horror guy. Damn. Yeah. Now Eric's Eric's like, oh man. I'm not trying <laughs> to rub it. The one time he picks a horror movie. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> shit. Maybe that's not fair. Then maybe no, no, I no, 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 no. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. Do it, do it. Okay. And we'll get Luke in here. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's a good movie or not, but I watched it a ton growing up, and it was it was just a VHS ripoff that DiBiase had gotten from somewhere. And actually, it was one of his favorite <laughs> movies of that time period. DiBiase loved this film, and that's what first exposed me to it. Uh, so it's been forever since I've seen it. So let's go back to the 80s. Go back to 1985, I believe. Oh. And I'm going to find out if Silver Bullet holds up or not. Oh, there's no greater. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought you were going to say House or Gate. No, right. I'm going with Silver, Silver Bullet. Bullet. I, I loved. I have not seen it in decades. Like literally, I haven't. So no, great choice. Great choice. I'm excited. Cool. Okay. Great. Anything. So. Werewolves. Anything werewolves. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. There's. I remember a wheelchair, Gary Busey. So yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Corey Hay. Dude, we're doing another Corey Hay movie. <laughs> That's fucking insane. What is we, with this podcast and our Corey Hay love? He's outdone Michael Douglas on our show <laughs> now, I think. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. I think he's our top watched it's actor. So weird. <laughs> of all people. <laughs> That's, That's so funny. Wow. Oh, it's great. Okay, cool. Well, we so love uh, coincidence on this show. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for watching. And uh, cinemanipod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back next week. At least me and Travis may be a guest. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's like Hame in the 80s and Hell in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs>